Uh, today's passage uh, touches or talks about something that we really want, yet we find so difficult to attain. What is it? It's contentment. Contentment is something that we deeply desire, uh, but we find it to be so, so elusive. And now, why is that? And more importantly, how can we be content? Well, today's passage really helps us to understand biblical contentment. Now, in today's message, I'd like to just answer two simple questions. The first is this, what is contentment? And the second, how can I be content? So first, what is contentment? I think sometimes uh, the best way to define something is by freeing it from any misconceptions associated with it. Now, I think there are three things that contentment is often confused with, and I'll just go through these three things quickly. The first misconception is this. Uh, Contentment is conspicuous. Contentment is obvious. Now, nothing can be further from the truth. If you think that contentment is something that comes naturally, or contentment is something that's organic, uh, I'm sorry, you are wrong. It's not organic. Uh, you, you can't buy contentment at Whole Foods. <laughs> Look what Paul says in verse 11. He says this, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Okay? This is the great Apostle Paul saying this. The great Apostle Paul, a man who knew and memorized the scriptures, just like my kids know and memorize the very hungry caterpillar. It's the great Apostle Paul whose devotion for missions and church planting was unmatched. I mean, even the great Apostle Paul had to learn contentment. Like all of us, the Apostle Paul had to be humbled in the school of contentment. Like all of us, the great Apostle Paul had to face years of frustration and disappointments in the school of contentment. Even the great Apostle Paul couldn't just pick up contentment off the shelves of his vast biblical knowledge. It was something that he had to learn. It was something that had to be intentionally practiced. You know, my oldest son recently uh, asked me to buy him rollerblades for his birthday. Now, I don't know how some of our parents handle birthday gifts, but since uh, my oldest son asked me for rollerblades, I also had to bear to buy a pair uh, for my second son. Okay, and it's just my way of you know not dealing with headaches uh, of hearing them fight. So, uh, in the Joe family, if it's one person's birthday, it's birthday for everyone. Okay, everybody's getting something. Now, um, so I bought, you know, my two boys um, rollerblades, and um, I actually forgot how difficult rollerblading is. I forgot how unnatural it is, especially for someone who's never rollerbladed before. But I remembered this after I put the blades on my boys, and I sent them off into the streets. I said, okay, go, rollerblade. I also forgot how funny it is to watch people try to rollerblade for the very first time. And so picture this. There are two skinny Asian boys uh, on the streets of Ambler, Pennsylvania. And they are rollerblading. 
but what they're actually doing is they're getting up and they're falling down. They're getting up, they're falling down. They're doing splits, unintentional spins, they're crawling on their knees and on their hands, trying to just learn how to go forward and stop, go forward and stop without falling down. You see, you can say that moving is a natural thing, right? You could even say walking is natural. But rollerblading, that's something that you have to learn painfully. You can read all the books you want on skating, but the first time you stand on wheels, that feeling is so unnatural. It's so uneasy. And friends, today's passage is telling us the same is the case with contentment. Contentment isn't something that's natural. It isn't something that's easy. It isn't something that just comes to us. But it's something that's learned. Contentment is something that has to be intentionally pursued. I mean, if you note here, Paul even calls it a secret. He's learned the secret of contentment. So so practically, here's what it looks like. Okay, Uh, here's here's one way. Um, If you are a Christian, you probably have confessed sometime in your life, Jesus is my everything. Right? You probably have confessed it, You probably have sung it. And it's very natural saying, Jesus is my everything. But going from saying, Jesus is my everything, to letting that touch and affect every aspect of your life, every nuance and layer of your life, that's like rollerblading. That takes practice and learning. It's not going to come naturally just because you sing it. Living out Jesus is my everything is something that has to be learned. It has to be practiced where we actually encounter moments in our lives, difficult moments in our lives, where we're faced with decisions. I mean, if I can just draw your attention attention quickly to what Paul says concerning how it's learned, right? Paul says he learned contentment not by living in poverty or in prosperity but he says i learned it by being exposed to both right in other words he had to learn how to be content by being in both extremes so he didn't allow um when faced with wealth or uh, prosperity he had to learn how to not let that blind him or entitle him or give him a feeling of self-importance He had to learn how to be content even in prosperity, where if he loses it, he's okay. He also had to learn contentment through poverty, where he's in a difficult situation, and he had to learn how not to be bitter and angry at a situation. You see, even for the great Apostle Paul, he he says that he had to learn what it means to be content. And so, friends, the first misconception or the first misunderstanding we have is this. Contentment is conspicuous. It's not. Okay? It's not obvious. It's not natural. Now, the second misunderstanding that I want to cover is this. Um, Contentment is conditional. And I think most people think this. Uh, They think that contentment is based on certain 
conditions. Uh, but if you look at what the Bible says, it actually takes the very opposite view. Look with me at verse 12. It says this. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. You know, in speaking about his own contentment, Paul, here in verse 12, mentions the range of situations that he's experienced. Being low and abounding, prosperity and poverty, abundance and scarcity. And Paul is saying, my contentment is not conditional upon my circumstance. In any situation I find myself, it doesn't matter. It doesn't change my contentment. Now, I think this is revealing because this teaches us that contentment is never the result of being in a certain situation. But this verse tells us that contentment is the attitude of the heart that allows us to respond appropriately in each and every situation. And and if you think about it, I think this changes drastically how we view contentment. Normally we think, okay, if I just reach a certain level, I will be content. Whether it's a certain income bracket or get a certain job or enter a certain life stage or, you know, have a certain skill level. We think, you know what, if I find that perfect person or my soulmate, I'll finally be content. Maybe I've set the bar too high. You know, parents are probably just thinking, you know what, I just want my kids to go back to school and I'll be content. And, you know, right now we all have our excuses for why we're not content, right? We have our excuses why we are not content. We think, you know what, If I can just move on to this next thing, I will be content. If I can just remove this barrier or get over this hurdle, I'll be content. See, this is the great mirage. See, contentment only seems like it's a few steps away, when in reality, we're not getting any closer. Um, The great Puritan pastor... Uh, Jeremiah Burroughs, uh, he puts it this way. He says this. Um, it's like children, right? This, this idea of contentment, it's like children who would um, climb up a hill. And when they are at the top of the hill, they look a good way off and they see another hill. They see another hill and the clouds are almost kissing the hill. And they think, you know what? If I get to that next hill... If I get on top of that hill, I can be able to reach up to the sky and touch the clouds with my finger. And so what do the kids do? They climb down the hill that they're on, and they go up this other hill. And alas, when they're on top of that hill, they reach up into the sky, and they try to touch their clouds, but they realize that they are far away from the clouds as they once were before. See, the Bible tells us that Contentment isn't conditional or contingent upon any of our external circumstances. Rather, contentment is the posture of our heart. It's the frame of our spirit that's determined or 
predisposed to responding with joy and obedience to God in whatever situation we find ourselves in. So if I can just put it simply, it's this. Contentment is, it's not the result of being in a certain life situation, but it's actually the response to any and every situation. Okay? It's, contentment is not the result of being in a certain life situation, but it's the response to any and every situation. So if I can, you know, discourage you a little bit, this is, here, here it is, okay? If you're waiting for something to change in your life because you think, you know what, when this change comes, I'll finally be content, um, that's not going to make you content. Okay? Whether you're waiting for marriage, a promotion, graduation, or even your next vacation, these things are not going to bring contentment. Okay? Jesus says, Matthew 6, 34, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Okay? Uh, the further I get in life, the more I understand what this verse means. Okay? These things that we're looking forward to, hoping, thinking that they'll bring contentment, will not. Okay? However, the encouragement is this. The encouragement is, you can be content right now. Okay. Whether COVID, no COVID, kids in school or kids at home, stable job or difficulty finding a job, experiencing prosperity or poverty, you can be content right now. Contentment isn't conditional. Okay. Uh, the third misunderstanding is this. Contentment is complacency. Okay. Um, some of you might be wondering, if I choose to be content, does that mean I'm settling? Right. You know, contentment is at times disparaged by some people because it sounds a bit defeatist, like the person is giving up, right? So if, it, if I'm content, does it mean that I don't have any drive in my life? If I'm content, does it mean that I'm being complacent? Well, friends, I'll have you know that Christian contentment is not complacency. If you look with me at verse 13, uh, this is what Paul says. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Uh, this is perhaps um, one of the most well-known verses in the entire Bible, right? And rightfully so. It's a powerful verse. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. But notice this verse is in the context of contentment. See, this confession that exudes confidence isn't found upon the lips of a man who has something to prove to the world, right? This confession that exudes confidence isn't found upon the lips of a man who has this huge chip on his shoulder. But it's confessed by someone who is completely content. And friends, this is the great paradox behind Christian contentment. You see, biblical contentment actually leads to greater courage. Biblical contentment actually produces more commitment. It produces more conviction. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. 
Only a truly content person can confess this. Someone who's not afraid of making a mistake or losing it all because he or she is completely secure in themselves. I know this is a bit controversial, but um, of all the Rocky movies, uh, I think Rocky Three has the best plot. Now, let me convince you why. Um, you know, if you remember the Rocky series, uh, the third movie is when Rocky is at the mountaintop. At that point in the movie, he is at the top. He's the champion. He's adored. He's rich. He's famous. He's doing commercials. And he even does shticks like uh, fighting Hulk Hogan, right? These charity advertising uh, marketing fights. But then, while he's on top, all of a sudden, there's this challenger, uh, Clubber Lang. And even though Rocky, he's the undisputed champion, he's actually shaken by Clubber Lang. He loses confidence as a fighter. You know, there's this great scene in the movie. Uh, they're on the beach, I think somewhere. I don't know if it's on the East Coast or in California, but they're on the beach somewhere. And Rocky actually explains to his wife, Adrian why he's afraid. He says, you know, before I came into all of this wealth and success, he said, he says, you know, I didn't care if I was knocked down or busted up. Right? He said, you know, I didn't worry about things like success or reputation or a title or money. Rocky says, you know what? He was he was completely happy where he was. He was content and that's why he was able to fight so fearlessly. But now Now that he has just so much to lose, now that he's been holding on so tightly to his glory, his past, his success, Rocky shares that he's actually afraid that he's going to lose it all. You know, and and there's this great line that Adrian, his wife, says, right? She's always the one who tells Rocky, hey, don't fight, don't fight, don't fight. But in this movie, she's the one who actually instills in him confidence. She says, What is it that you're afraid of losing, right? What do we have that can't be replaced? And he says, she she gives him the courage, like, you know, you got to go back to where you came from. And, you know, that's where, you know, Rocky, you know, he, you know, he he gains the confidence and and the rest of the movie is about him rekindling or rediscovering that fearless courage that he actually had before by being content by not caring if he wins or loses. That's how he gets the eye of the tiger back. Right? Where, where he's no longer worried about what people will say or how people will perceive him. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. You see, this kind of fearless courage and confidence can only come from someone who is completely content in the gospel. But, you know, just just a word on this verse. I think uh, Christians um, often get this verse backwards. Uh, they, They think, you know what, if I can overcome all of my obstacles, if I can do all things through Him who strengthens me, only when I can do all of that, I can finally be content. But no, this is backwards. Paul says first that he's content. 
That's why he can do everything. You see, I'm content. That's why I can do everything through him who gives me strength. It's not the other way around. Where if I overcome everything, then I'll finally be content. I mean, look at just Paul's example, right? In one chapter earlier, in chapter 3. Paul is a content man, but he talks about pressing on. Paul is a content man, but he talks about straining forward. Paul is content, yet he confesses, I haven't attained everything. This doesn't sound like a man who is complacent or lazy or settling. Rather, Paul, in whatever situation, he says, I'm content. And because of that, in every situation, I'm also fighting. I'm fighting. If he's in discomfort, he's fighting so that his heart will not grow bitter or envious of others. If he's experiencing luxury, he's fighting so that his heart will not grow proud and entitled. Paul says, in whatever situation, I'm content. And because I'm content, I'm fighting so that that moment would not define me or control me. In every situation, Paul is fighting so that he can turn every opportunity into one that glorifies his maker and his savior. See, Paul is actively pressing on. He's fighting so that he would delight in the Lord in every situation and in every circumstance that he would respond in obedience. Jeremiah Burroughs, once again, has this line. He says this, It may be said of one who is contented in a Christian way that he is the most contented man in the world and yet the most unsatisfied man in the world. So three misconceptions that I spoke of First, contentment is not conspicuous. It's not obvious or natural. Contentment is not conditional. It's not based on a certain life stage or life situation. And third, contentment is not complacent. So, So what is biblical contentment? Well, it's something that's learned. Biblical contentment, it's the... The, the inward attitude of the heart that's gracious towards everything and everyone. And biblical contentment manifests itself in confident devotion and courageous obedience to God in any and every circumstance. So, if you are truly content It'll give, it'll breed in you this ultimate confidence to trust in God in every situation. It'll give you this courageous obedience to submit to Him in every circumstance you find yourself in. So, that's contentment. I guess the second and more important question is this How then can we be content? You know, even after explaining all of this, um, you know, contentment might seem like an impossible task to you, right? Thinking, you might be thinking, how can I just make the decision? How can I just say, you know what, I'm going to be content from now on? 
and not allow the circumstances in life to affect that. Right? Some of you might be thinking, how can I be just so content that I'm actually courageous and not afraid? Well, I think there are two ways to contentment. The first way is you empty yourself. You go the middle way, like the Eastern religions teach, like Hinduism and Buddhism teach, where you become so emotionless, so detached, so driven, like the Stoics. Right? That's, that's one way, right? where you just empty yourself. You become detached, and you don't let anything affect you. That's one way. The other way is to be so filled that you're actually overflowing. You're filled so much, you're filled to the brim that you don't have room for anything else, that you don't seek after anything else. And that, friends, is what Christian contentment is. When the Bible speaks of contentment, it's referring to that where the individual, where the community is so filled with Christ that they're completely satisfied, where they're so filled with his love that you don't hunger for other love, but you're able to just freely give it. Love just pours out of you. Where, you know, biblical contentment is where you're so filled with Christ's approval that you don't have to go seeking after other people's approval. Where you're so filled with His pleasure that there's no room in you for other pleasures. That's biblical contentment. Where you're so filled with Christ. And his love for you, his acceptance and his approval for you, that you're completely satisfied. And you don't go seeking to fill yourself with other things. I mean, would you take Paul as an example? Right? Before um, the Apostle Paul met Jesus, he wasn't a content man. He was successful. He was well-to-do. He was educated, he was respected, but he wasn't content. In fact, Paul was so discontent that it often led him to anger and violence domineering over other people. You know, Paul was a man who had everything, but it seemed in his actions that he had nothing. There was this discontentment to Paul. Right? And, and we see this especially in his calling. If you look in Acts 26, verse 14, this is what Jesus says to Paul. Right? When, when Jesus calls Paul, he says this, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goats. Now, I think this is an extremely important statement. Jesus describes Paul as kicking against the goats. In other words, Jesus describes himself as this horse trainer, right? He's breaking in this young colt by goading him, by whipping him, by training him. And what is Paul doing? He's refusing his master. He's kicking against it. 
See, we find that in Paul there is this wrestling, this struggling. There is, in some sense, this unpleasantness about Paul, this abrasiveness about Paul. And Paul is a man who had the perfect resume. He had the perfect life. Yet he was so discontent, striving after things, wrestling with the world as if he had something to prove. You know, Paul, as a very successful man, had this chip on his shoulder. He was so unpleasant and angry and discontent, even though he had, it seemed like he had everything. That's Paul before Christ. What about Paul after Christ? Well, Paul after Christ is the very opposite. Paul, after Christ, he seems like a man who has nothing, yet lives like he has everything. What happens after he meets Christ? He's so satisfied. He is so filled to the brim that, you know what? He's able to give up everything, yet continue to live as if he has everything. Paul is someone who faces these dire situations that's described as nothing less than death, right? He, he faces death. He encounters death countless of times, but he lives like a man who is filled with life. Paul is a man who continues to pour himself out like a drink offering, and yet he's able to confess every night, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I have no desire or nothing that's lacking in me. Paul is a man who seems so weak after meeting Christ. He's got no money. He's going about from town to town being persecuted. But even in weakness, Paul, he's able to confess. His grace is sufficient for me because his power is made perfect in weakness. Even in weakness, Paul speaks of power. Even in weakness, Paul is a man of great strength. See, Paul, before Christ, seemed like he had everything, but he lived like he had nothing. Paul, after Christ, appeared to have nothing. But he lived his life like he had everything. Friends, if at this moment you find contentment to be so elusive, right, you find yourself to be so discontent, uh, so unpleasant, so abrasive, if you find yourself wanting, thinking, you know what, if I just enter the next stage of my life, if I just get over this hurdle, if I just get this degree, if I just meet the next person, if I just experience my next accomplishment, if I just enter this next income bracket, I'll be content. Friends, if that's you, you will find yourself wanting. You will find yourself desiring. You will find yourself being content always. 
The way to Christian contentment is not by emptying yourself and it's not by filling yourself with all of these accomplishments and trophies. But the way to Christian contentment is to be filled with Christ. If you are discontent at this moment, will you let your soul be soaked be drowned in the presence of Christ? Will you throw yourself into the pool of God's eternal love? As the psalmist tells us, will you open wide your mouth so that God himself can fill it? How can we be content? It's to be filled with the eternal water the eternal bread, Jesus Christ himself. That is the only way we will never be lacking. That is the only way we can confess. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not lack anything. Will you join me in prayer at this time?